will, to the Gospel of Matthew again, chapter 17 this morning we begin. We'll look at the first eight verses. <clears throat> Matthew 17. I suspect we all like uh, mountaintop experiences, times when we feel especially close to God, times when we understand more clearly than before what life's all about, times when the valley of despair seems far away. If ever we experience such a thing, we just want to stay there forever. <laughs> But it never works that way. Our text this morning recounts the ultimate mountaintop experience. Jesus and his disciples on the Mount of Transfiguration. Let me read it. Matthew 17, verse 1. After six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, the brother of James, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. There he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as the light. Just then there appeared before them Moses and Elijah talking with Jesus. Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it's good for us to be here. If you wish, I will put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. And while he was still speaking, a bright, light, a bright cloud enveloped them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my son whom I love with him I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell face down on the ground, terrified. But Jesus came and touched them. Get up, he said. Don't be afraid. When they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus. As I studied this text, I found endless interesting details, many of which would make points for a sermon. And it just got more and more confusing. So let me just suggest two truths that are like really obvious, self-evident. This I can handle, yet great truth from this text. The first tr truth is this. Jesus blazes with glory. Jesus blazes with glory. I use the word blazes, not because that's the perfect word. I couldn't find the perfect word. I went through five thesauruses. But because shines is just too pitifully weak. Everything shines. Pennies that aren't worth the copper they're made of are shiny. Ah, but Jesus blazes with glory. Like his father who according to the scripture dwells in unapproachable light. So Jesus blazes with brightness. Now when we talk about Jesus blazing with brightness, we're not just talking about the physical phenomenon, though that's there. They saw him. But his glory is more than you just can see with your eyes. It's multifaceted. On this mountain, we see ways that Jesus is glorious beyond what our eyes could see. So let me share some of them. Consider the significance of Moses and Elijah who appeared with Jesus. What did that mean? Well, throughout the Bible, Moses is associated with the Old Testament law. He's often called the lawgiver, although actually... Through the, the Lord gave him the law. 
And throughout the Bible, Elijah is the foremost of the prophets. My uh, Oxford Dictionary of the Christian Church says of Elijah, traditionally he is held to be the greatest Hebrew prophet. So Dr. Jim Boyce notes, since Moses was the great lawgiver and Elijah was the first of the great prophets, the two seem to represent the law and the prophets, the two chief divisions of the Old Testament scriptures, suggesting that what they stood for is now being fulfilled in Jesus. Jesus is the culmination of the whole Old Testament revelation and the fulfillment of everything that these two great figures taught and represented. That's a profound kind of glory. Jesus blazes with the glory of his fulfillment of all that God has spoken. Or consider another thing. Consider the prediction made a thousand years earlier back in Psalm 2. There it was predicted that the day would come that the Gentile kings and the rulers of God's people would all gather together in a great conspiracy in order to overthrow the Lord and his anointed one. But God would establish his king anyway. He calls him my son. And he warned the nations they better honor his son and, and submit to his rule. And now, here he is. This Jesus, the son, the anointed one. Recently, his disciples had finally confessed that he is the Christ, the son of the living God, after which he told them of his rejection and death which lay ahead. Indeed, they were on their way to Jerusalem where Jesus would face that rejection spoken of in Psalm 2. But lest there be any confusion, when the rejection and the crucifixion begins, during their brief stay on the mountaintop, God pulled back the curtains, allowing them to see Jesus' glory before they faced seeing his humiliation. Then he spoke from the cloud, declaring the pleasures, his pleasure with his son, his anointed king, before they hear, the disciples would hear the crowd say, crucify him and see him crowned with thorns. This is a profound kind of glory. The imminent fulfillment of all of God's plans uh, uh, predicted for thousands of years, the coming of the kingdom, the, the, the coming of the king, the son, the Lord Jesus, he blazes with this glory. One more example. You may recall that when Moses came down from the mountain with the tablets of the law, something similar had happened. According to Exodus 34, Moses' face was shining so brightly that the people couldn't look at him. But Moses actually didn't realize that at first. But though that was similar to Jesus' transfiguration, it's not the same. Moses, who had been in God's presence, was reflecting the glory of the Lord. But Jesus' glory is different. Our text says he was transfigured. In other words, Jesus' own inherent glory was simply being made visible to his disciples there on the mountaintop. You may recall that in John 17, Jesus prayed, Father, glorify me 
in your presence with the glory that I had with you before the world began. In his commentary on Matthew, uh, Don Doriani, Dan Doriani explained it like this. He says, as the Christmas hymn, Hark the Herald Angel says, the Godhead was veiled in flesh. All through his life, Jesus' divine nature was hidden under his form. But in the transfiguration, we see Jesus as he really is. His outward appearance changed so that his divine majesty and glory shone through. You see, before the world began, and after Jesus ascended into heaven for all eternity, and for a few minutes on the top of that mountain, Jesus blazed and does blaze and will blaze with glory. You know, these disciples never forgot this experience. You wouldn't either, would you? 35 years later, 35 years after that day on the mountain, Peter wrote about it. It was still fresh in his mind. He wrote, we did not follow cleverly invented stories when we told you about the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. We were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For he received honor and glory from God the Father when the voice came to him from the majestic glory saying, this is my son whom I love, with him I am well pleased. We ourselves heard that voice come from heaven when we were with him on the sacred mountain. Peter remembered. Even later, perhaps 60 to 80 years after this happened on this mountaintop, the apostle John wrote, the word, the eternal word, the second person of the Godhead, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us, and we have seen his glory. The glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. The blaze of Jesus' glory changed those disciples. And dear people, God intends for it to change you and me too. There's an interesting fact here. The word translated transfigured is a word also applied to us in the New Testament. We read it, for example, one of the places in 2 Corinthians 3, verse 18, where it's translated transformed rather than, trans, uh, rather than transfigured. Here's what it says. And we who contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Oh, we won't blaze like Jesus did, but God intends for every single believer to reflect his glory, and he will settle for nothing less. Then there's a second truth here. And it's simply this. Listen to Jesus. Listen to Jesus. Somewhere along the way, most of us have probably said something stupid. 
at just the wrong time. Some of us seem to have a knack for doing that. We do it quite often. Perhaps that's so easy, why it's so easy for us to identify with uh, the Apostle Peter. He often misread the situation, didn't know what to say, and so just blurted out whatever stupid thing came to mind. And the Mount of Transfig Transfiguration was one of those times for Peter. Jesus had just been transfigured. He was shining like the sun when Moses and Elijah suddenly appeared. Now, there are lots of things that one could say right then. You could say, wow, <laughs> that might be appropriate. Or say, Lord, what does this mean? Not Peter. Peter said, oh, Lord, this is great. How about I build three shelters, one for you and one for uh, Elijah and one for Moses? And there's so many things wrong with that. The whole point of Jesus' transfiguration was to show his divine glory. Moses and Elijah were there to, to honor him. But Peter's plan simply put them all three on the same level. In fact, maybe Peter thought it was an honor for Jesus to meet Elijah and Moses. We don't know. Well, this time it was time it was God who corrected Peter, and he did it quite simply. Suddenly, a bright cloud covered all of them. And God spoke from within that cloud, saying, This is my, this, my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. It couldn't have taken long for the disciples to realize that this was the glory cloud, what's called the Shekinah glory. That cloud had covered God's people during the Exodus, shielding them from the sight of the Egyptians who were pursuing them. That cloud had descended on Moses on, the Mount, on Mount Sinai when he was receiving the law. That cloud hovered over the tabernacle in the wilderness. It was a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night the constant sign of God's presence in the midst of his people. And by it, God had directed his people through the wilderness. When, when the cloud moved, they picked up and moved. This Shekinah glory is mentioned no less than 58 times in the Bible in 10 different books of the Bible. But this time, its purpose was to identify Jesus as God's son and call the disciples to listen to him. This seems to be connected to what God had promised Moses back in Deuteronomy 18. There we read, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me, says Moses, from among your own brothers. You must listen to him. And now that God has identified Jesus as his son, it is surely time to be still and listen to what he has to say. The church needs to hear and heed this command, I would suggest. <laughs> we are people of many words. Talk is cheap. But to be still and listen to the Lord 
requires us to stop talking all the time. Then again, realistically, how are we going to listen to him? Is the voice going to come from another cloud? Is God going to send another prophet? How could we hear what God is saying? Well, you probably already know the answer. God has spoken in his word. We listen to him by giving attention to the scriptures. But the Bible is not some cheap substitute for actually hearing God's voice on a mountaintop. Listen to what Peter, who was there, listen to what Peter had to say about it. Immediately after he wrote, we were eyewitnesses of Jesus' majesty and hearing God's voice. Right after that, he writes, and we have the word of the prophets made more certain, and you will do well to pay attention to it as to a light shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. And then he goes on to explain how God gave us the scriptures. He says, no prophecy of scripture had its origin in the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Do you hear what the apostle Peter said? Peter who stood there and saw the glory and heard the voice. This is a truth. He says that the Bible, God's scriptures, are even a more certain word from God than if you heard an audible voice from heaven. That's what he said. I didn't make that up. Peter said that. Folks, you need to listen to this. We live in a time where personal experience, how I feel, what I think, what I learned, what I've seen, what worked for me, whatever, trumps everything. And presented with a conflict between what God's word says and any other authority, especially my own experience authority, we will almost always set aside the scriptures as unreliable rather than reject some expert's opinion or our own feelings. We desperately need to hear the Lord's command, give attention to my word. Listen to my son. We love mountaintop experiences. But God doesn't let us stay there. Jesus didn't. He was on his way to the cross. The disciples didn't. Their faith was about to be tested and stretched for years to come. Instead, on this mountaintop, God prepared his disciples and he prepared us. He let them see and let them understand that Jesus blazes with glory. He's the fulfillment of all God has predicted. He's the focus of all God is doing. He is the only hope that we have for today and the only hope for eternity. So, he says... Listen to him. When he tells us that the only way to save your life is to lose your life for him, listen. 
when he says that he's the way and the truth and the life and no one can come to the Father but by him, listen. When he calls us to lay aside every earthly treasure and serve him, listen to him. When he assures us that his grace has been extended to us through Jesus and that his grace is sufficient for every single thing we face, listen, listen, listen to him. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we're not very good at listening. We talk a lot. And when we do listen, we'll listen to everyone but you. We'll trust our own experience. We'll trust what our friends say, though they may know nothing. And we'll leave your word closed up on our shelf. Father, I fear that Jesus we know is not one who blazes with glory. He's more like a mother goose tail to us. Help us, Lord, to see what you wanted your disciples to see, what you had written down for us to understand, the glory of our Savior and the humility to be still and listen to what you have to say. Help us, we pray. Amen. You find your bulletin, there's an affirmation of faith there.